Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Loopcast. First of all, um, to start off with, after our summer break, we're back and looking forward to bringing you more shows with exciting guests. And I'm happy to start off our new series after the summer break with Charlie Winter. And he is on the show today to discuss his recent paper um, called The Virtual Caliphate, Understanding Islamic State's Propaganda Strategy. So first of all, welcome to the show, Charlie. Thanks for having me on. And for our listeners, Charlie Winter is a senior research and programs officer at the Quilliam Foundation, which is located in the United Kingdom. So we have him all the way over across the pond, so to speak, to be on the show today. Brilliant. Thanks for having me on. So, Charlie, why don't we start off with you telling our listeners how long did the span of this research take for this paper and what were your methods? So I decided pretty early on to have limitations for the extent of the research because obviously dealing with Islamic State's propaganda machine, it's, it's vast. It has a, a huge amount of video, photo and audio releases coming out every day. So I wanted to, to look at a, a, a delimited t- amount of time. So I took it from the beginning of the, the first year of the Islamic State Caliphate, so the, from the 29th of June 2014 on to the 29th of June 2015. Um, and looked at essentially as much as I could within that time span. So I'm working on a different project at the moment where I'm actually logging every single piece of, of propaganda that's coming out. Uh, but over the last year, for, the, for this particular project, I was downloading as much as I could, but within the realm of, of being able to do other things at the same time. Uh, I think that it still enabled me to get a very good impression uh, a very accurate impression of, of what it is that Islamic State is trying to channel in its propaganda, what narratives it's trying to, to, to get out there and try to, trying to spread both to its enemies and to its friends, both to its sympathizers and to those very disconnected audiences abroad in, in places like the States and the UK, the, the public. So in terms of what methods I use to try and gather together this, this information, how I could figure out what was real, legitimate Islamic State propaganda, what was official, what was unofficial, uh, how I could look at it in aggregate and and, uh, delineate different narratives and forms from within that. It's all about identifying, first of all, the dissemination process of of the propaganda. So essentially, a lot of it's done through uh, the use of hashtags. They use the hashtags like filtering mechanisms. So with the right combination of hashtags for a particular media foundation or for a particular uh, provincial media outlet, you can pretty much certainly get everything that is coming out of that, that foundation or, or outlet at any one time. Uh, and it's done in a manner which means that the accounts can't really be censored. There is no one account which is releasing Islamic State's propaganda. It's, it's 
pretty well democratized. So it means that it's very easy for it to continue being released, even in the face of, of censorship and, and mass suspensions that Twitter's been uh, implementing more recently. Um, but it's, it's all about figuring out how these guys exist, how they uh, interact with each other online, and how they use hashtags in, in order to insulate themselves from, from being caught out by social media corporations. And you mentioned these hashtags. Is there an estimate you can give us about how many hashtags are out there that are affiliated with the Islamic State, ISIS, whatever you want to call it these days? Well, I mean, there's a, a hashtag for, for every province. So, for example, if we take uh, uh, Anbar province, you have Walayat al-Anbar. Uh, it's very simple. That's, that delineates that that is Anbar province's uh, Islamic State news. And then from within that, there are other hashtags like Taqrir uh, Buthawar, which means uh, photo report. So that, that delineates that if you have both of those present, that's a photo report coming from the Anbar province. Uh, similar, a similar case for, for videos, but all of these are also kind of given the hallmark of, of Dalat al-Khalifa, the state of the caliphate, uh, which is another hashtag which is used to, to intercept, uh, or at least as a means of kind of protecting against other bots from, that are trying to take over these hashtags. Because one thing that you do notice is that in the effort to, to counteract the uh, efficiency with which Islamic State can spread its propaganda online, there are uh, users or, or bots that are flooding the provincial hashtags uh, and making them impossible to, to disseminate propaganda on. So what Islamic State has done is introduce another few hashtags that, that refine the search even more, make it even more precise. So while it's less accessible to the outside world and you have to go looking for it, there's more and no kind of what, what keys to, uh, to use to, to find the right area, it does mean that it's a lot harder to, to censor as well because they can just keep adding uh, and changing the way that these things are, are, are hallmarked. And that, that means that it can constantly keep the output up even if there are bots working against it or, or censorship, that kind of thing. And for you as a researcher in this topic, it seems like ISIS has to adapt constantly with the challenges on social media, as you were saying, bots and so forth. How does that make your job more difficult or more easy, potentially, for your research? Well, it certainly makes it more interesting. I, I'd say that given the amount of time I spend doing this, uh, it's fairly easy to adapt with them. So to, to notice when something, when a particular website's been taken down or a particular mode of disseminating has been obstructed, it's fairly easy to adapt with Islamic State's disseminators and see how they're shifting their techniques to, to go with it. And it makes it very interesting to see how they adapt and how quick they are to adapt. But also another thing that, that that's enabled me to do is see uh, fairly linear progressions of, of the evolution of Islamic State propaganda from pretty scruffy this time last year uh, to something which is very well honed now. I mean, I think that that's something which is fairly often missed when talking about Islamic State's propaganda machine, we assume that it's this monolithic entity and it's always been as effective as it has. But it really has developed a huge amount, even in the last 12 months, and it's continuing to do so now. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, there's a complete overhaul of its iconography. So all of the different provinces, the different layers, they were given new logos and 
kind of looked a bit more corporate. It was, it was interesting, but this kind of thing is happening all the time where they're introducing new elements, seeing whether they work, because of course social media uh, analysis enables the propagandists themselves and the disseminators to, to really figure out whether something has gone down well in the community of supporters or not. Uh, so they're constantly trying new things and it, it does make it uh, a formidable enemy when it comes to putting together counter-narratives, but I guess we'll talk about that a little later on. From what you've just said about their adaptation with different methods of propaganda, it almost seems like they're using typical marketing schemes of, okay, if something doesn't work, we try something new, try it out in the public, see if it works. I mean, is that something that you're picking up in your research? Yeah, I think that that definitely is something that, that's happening. I think that when we look to governments or civil society bodies to present counter-narratives, we always are kind of shocked at the, the ineffectivity of it. But I, I think that one thing which makes us structurally impaired from being able to, to match Islamic State's ability to do this is the fact that there is a lot more bureaucracy and red tape that we need to get through, especially if it's at the government level. Islamic State, while it does have a very centralized propaganda structure, while it does have a, a very uh, definite set of media offices and media foundations and propagandists and a very definite means of dissemination. It's a lot more fluid and I think that the ability to adapt and shift its strategy in the face of the international challenges that, that are increasingly being present, I think that that is something which really does strengthen its ability, strengthen its relevance and, and strengthen its appeal as an organization, the fact that it's constantly changing. And you hit the nail on the head when you said that it's as if it's marketing. I think that that's exactly what is happening here. It's not just marketing using different narratives and uh, trying to, to sell the caliphate idea itself, but it's using marketing techniques to try and uh, maximize its, its viewership, maximize the ultimate reach that it has across the world. Why don't you provide us with the common types of propaganda we're seeing being used by the Islamic State? What are the common elements that we see on social media, um, print, etc.? So if we look at photo reports first, these are the most ubiquitous kind of propaganda that the Islamic State releases. They more recently have been uh, refined formal photo reports that have their own kind of poster put together and are circulated alongside this poster, uh, but then also photos which are uh, released with the hashtag Ajil, uh, so hashtag urgent or, or breaking. Um, and these are photographs of developing situations. Essentially they show things like uh, battlefields reporting or, or uh, parades throughout the, the many provinces of the, the caliphate, so showing off uh, the arms and soldiers of the, the Islamic State. But then we also have things which appear a lot more inane, but are just as important, if you ask me. Things like honey production, uh, photo reports of, of swimming pools, of, of kids swimming in, in the Euphrates River, uh, really things which probably seem quite benign individually, uh, and are by all accounts benign. But the message that they're sending is that life is operating as normal. Uh, there may be a coalition attacking Islamic State from all sides, but, but we're managing to create the Islamist utopia that we promised that we would create. So that's just a brief look at photo reports. Uh, obviously we have also the, the daily bulletins, the 
Idaat uh, which is released in, uh, I think it's now six languages, so English, uh, Russian, French, Kurdish, Arabic, um, and there is one more which has slipped my mind. This is uh, essentially a, a news bulletin which is uh, predominantly focused on the military advances and military developments of Islamic State in the various provinces all over the, uh, the caliphate as itself. It's released in, in PDF format every day, uh, again in, in multiple languages, but also as a, a radio broadcast. And this is uh, something which is broadcast within the boundaries of, of uh, the caliphate, at least in Iraq and Syria as well. I, I believe that the, the, the kind of center of the radio station uh, is in Ninawa province in, in Mosul. There's a video that was depicting its activities that was released a, a couple of weeks ago. So that's the audio side of things and the photo side of things. Probably the most famous part of its propaganda, uh, simply because it's the most prominent and accessible, is video propaganda. The, again, I, I'm giving a very brief idea of, of what these things are. I mean, the, the, the variation of narrative is, is profound in, in terms of looking at these things. But just briefly for the structure of video propaganda, they tend to be quite short, but they can vary from between, well, there was just one that was released by uh, the Egyptian Sinai province um, a couple of minutes ago, that's one minute, 18 seconds. But they can go for well over an hour as well. So there's a, a lot of variation in, in terms of time. Often that dependent on what the content is. So if it's uh, an out-and-out -out execution of a, a group of alleged spies, then that usually only goes for eight minutes or so, because there's not actually that much that you can show for that. But if there's more of a narrative, if it's something, for example, a, a video showing the uh, revitalization of the hospital system in Raqqa, that can go on for a bit more because they can interview multiple characters, they can talk about this fantastic technology and the expertise of the, uh, the, the doctors of the Islamic State, etc., etc., etc. And whether that's true or not, whether they are fantastic doctors, whether they do have fantastic technology, it's, it's kind of arbitrary. If you're watching these videos uh, as a supporter of Islamic State, then you're going to see what you want to see. Um, and I think that that's something which is uh, quite an important thing to get. A lot of people consuming Islamic State propaganda, they're doing so actively. They're not just uh, absorbing it, but they are getting what they want from it. So the, the last thing is written propaganda. So this can be anything from, from individual statements. Uh, to magazines. I mean, the, the most famous magazine is, of course, Darbek, but they have Dar al-Islam, which is a French-language magazine, uh, a, a Russian magazine, a Turkish magazine. Um, all of these have fairly repetitive content. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that they're particularly accessible um, to new recruits or, or simply people who sympathize with the idea of Islamic State. I mean, they're pretty dense in terms of the the, uh, theological content that they have, but uh, again, they're very effective. They they show that, well, they're very effective in some ways. They they show that Islamic State is a professional, uh, well organized and, and um, very considered in it, its propaganda making. Um, something which which really demonstrates that it, it's it's really carefully thinking about what the image it wants to portray is and and really grounding as much as it can uh, in theology, in the idea that it is enacting this, this pristine Islam that, that's been lost in the last uh, 
thousand plus years, and that it is really bringing about a renaissance of Islam. And of course, that's not true. But if you are a sympathizer, if you're a supporter who wants to think it's true, then this, but in aggregate, all of this stuff does tell a very strong message. What about the more uncommon types of propaganda that we see? What are they? So we have a situation where they release content on a daily basis. Then you have the central outlets, which are a lot rarer in the, the, the videos that they release. So here I'm talking about Mu'assasat al-Furqan, Mu'assasat al-Atisam, and the Al-Hayat Media Center. So if we look at each of these uh, in action of each other, they, they make distinct propaganda. So the Furqan Foundation, Mu'assasat al-Furqan, that is something which is... Uh, probably the most notorious in terms of the videos that it's produced because it's the one which has been responsible for uh, many of the, the beheadings. Uh, the international um, journalists who were beheaded last year by Jihadi John, as, as the media tended to enjoy calling him, uh, but also some of the, the feature-length kind of orgy of brutality, uh, orgies of brutality that Islamic State produces, so they uh, on the pro prophetic methodology, which was a particularly brutal release, uh, but also Salila Sawar and the claim of the swords, which is a fairly idiosyncratic name, but uh, again, it's something which has a very strong, very brutal uh, set of content in it. Um, so, Fort Khan has not released anything for a little while. Last release was at the beginning of Ramadan. It was something that was looking specifically at zakat distribution in, in Ramadi, but it's been quiet. I, I think that that's uh, probably going to change sooner or later because it's also the foundation which delivers audio messages from Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi and Abu Muhammad al-Adnani, uh, respectively the, the caliph and spokesman of Islamic State. So the, the next foundation, Mu'assasat uh, al-A'tisam, this produces, uh, again, uh, been around for a long time, but it, it hasn't produced quite so much in the last year. Uh, but it tends to really focus on, on battlefield reporting. So, for example, there's a, a recent video that really showed, uh, start to finish, a lot of the fighting in Beji uh, or around Beji, um, very kind of uh, well put together, well edited, uh, and well considered video of, of the Islamic State's offensive there. Uh, but again, it's been fairly quiet of late, and whether that's indicative of the fact that it's, it's merged with other organizations, as, as we've seen provincial media outlets kind of increase in their ability to, to produce uh, professional-looking, high-definition propaganda, uh, that's uh, perhaps what's happening there. Then the last one that I mentioned earlier, the Al-Hayat Media Center, this produces magazines like Darbuk, it, it produces the, the foreign language content for Islamic State. It's also responsible for the mass beheading, uh, uh, the mass beheading video from, from Libya back in February, I believe it was, on the, the beach just outside Surat, uh, which was particularly interesting. I mean, it was, of course, abhorrent, but in terms of the, uh, the structural side of it and the practicalities of it, it seemed to suggest that perhaps someone or uh, some people from Al-Hayat Media Center actually went from Syria, Iraq, where they have been based, 
Olivia to film the, the video uh, because it was very, very well produced. I mean, I have to stress that whoever's producing the, the highest level videos, because there is some fodder, there is some stuff which is, is, is really poor. Uh, but for the highest of the Islamic State propaganda, the most sophisticated uh, and, and carefully choreographed videos, these guys clearly know what they're doing. They're using rails and they're using equipment which, which you can't really just teach yourself. Um, and there, there is a, a level of, I mean, professionalism is a buzzword which I think has been overused by the media. But certainly in, in some respects, Islamic State's propaganda operation is very professional. So. Another question is, in the intro to the virtual caliphate, there's a statement that says the Islamic State has revolutionized the jihadist messaging. How have they done this? What have you seen in your research that revolutionizes the messages? So I think that one important thing that Islamic State has brought to jihadist messaging, it's important to emphasize first off actually that other groups like Al-Qaeda, uh, be it Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula or Jabhat al-Nusra in Syria, uh, they do produce propaganda. Uh, and they have done for a very long time and it has been professional looking uh, a lot of the time as well. But Islamic State have taken their media strategy in a different direction. They've really put their all into creating a, a very large media presence that's very easy to access. Uh, and, and very vocal and noticeable, not just to other jihadists and supporters, but to the international community at large. So I think that that's been a very deliberate approach to try and uh, assist Islamic State in its, its attempt to knock Al-Qaeda off the pedestal as the kind of death noir of, of international jihadism. And I think it's something that, that uh, to be quite frank, it, it probably did do fairly successfully. But at the same time, I think that, that Al-Qaeda has kind of welcomed that because it has been seen uh, in, in many ways as the more moderate uh, option to Islamic State, simply because it doesn't publicize its brutalities in the same way that, that IS does. So in terms of dissemination, it's, it's revolutionized that in the sense that it doesn't use centralized accounts, it, it has some official disseminators, but these are individuals who, who are regularly suspended and then pop back up and they have their own uh, means to demonstrate that they are who they say they are. Uh, and then there is this larger network of individuals who are very, very active on Twitter at all times. And I'd say that the majority of this does happen on Twitter, uh, who are very active on Twitter at all times and they are always looking out for the latest release of propaganda, be it a video, be it a set of photos, be it um, uh, the Daily Bulletin. Um, and they work very hard to constantly disseminate and constantly replenish the body of existing propaganda that's out there. Because I think that one of the key uses for, for propaganda in Islamic State's case is it's used as an evidence base for recruiters. So it gives individuals who are talking about the, the joys of living in Islamic State, the joys of living in the caliphate, it gives them something to, to show off to the people that they're trying to win over. So that's where photos like swimming pools and, and, and bakeries and, and markets and there's been a recent series on uh, the flourishing economies of, of various regions of, of Islamic State held Syria. That's where they really, really come in and are important. Um, in terms of the, the content itself, I think that the, the way in which Islamic State has revolutionized jihadist propaganda, jihadist messaging, 
is to a large extent in the volume of the uh, the output it has. I mean, the, the project that I'm working on at the moment, I, I'm taking uh, one month of Islamic states, uh, one month snapshot of Islamic states propaganda. So this is involving going through all of the, uh, the provincial outlets on a daily basis, spending a couple of hours going through them and collecting everything that was released the previous 24 hours. And it, it's fairly, well, it's a very rigorous task, but I think it's worth doing because what, I mean, even though I spend all my time doing this, I'm surprised by the amount of content that's coming out. Uh, it's been two weeks and there's already well over 600 different, uh, different propaganda campaigns and the variation within them is, is very, very significant. And they're not just uh, one photo here or there, they're, they're photo sets, they're, they're videos. And you can really tell that this is a, an operation which has been very carefully delegated because there is uniformity, there is consistency in the message. Uh, and there is a, a constant effort to to keep this set of ideas alive. So I think that when when I talk about the fact that Islamic State has revolutionized what it's doing, or how a jihadist group messages, it, it does so by changing the way it disseminates, by really giving its supporters as much of a role as, as they can, without even having to leave their, their bedrooms or their computers. Uh, it, it really does channel the idea that if you can sit at home and, and translate propaganda and then spread it to your circle of, of friends, circle of followers, like-minded followers, that is, then that's uh, really contributing to the Islamic State jihad too. And the second way that it, it's revolutionized it is in terms of volume, the, the sheer weight and, and breadth of, of Islamic State propaganda is vast. And I think that that's something that's very, very important because it enables it to, to really keep up appearances and show that this is something which isn't going away and it's something which is constantly developing and something which is constantly fulfilling the promises that its leaders are giving in their sporadic audio messages. I think that that's very, very important for it to sustain it, its global campaign to, to attract people. Personally, I think one thing that makes propaganda of any type important and something that will stick with you is portraying a story. And I find that the Islamic State in their propaganda is very good at doing this. I was wondering if we could talk about this a bit. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, whether it's telling a story in, in snapshots with various photo reports or a series of short videos showing the same thing happening in various parts of the, the, the caliphate, as it likes to uh, think of itself. Or whether it's a longer video where it shows a, a narrative of an individual who's been accused of being a spy, first of all being captured by Islamic State security forces, then being interrogated and, and coming out with what it is that he's done, who it was that he's working for, but also how he got to that position. And then ultimately the final sequence where uh, they are invariably executed. That, that's a very effective, uh, brief, easily told story. And I think it's for some people exactly what they want to see. For the Islamic State ideologue, they want to see these people being killed. They want them to be humiliated and uh, humiliate their enemies and, and seek to intimidate potential dissenters or people considering uh, working against Islamic State. And I think that does gratify uh, a certain base of support for Islamic State. In terms of 
other uh, stories which aren't brutal. And I, I think that these ones are probably more important because there's a tendency to, to focus on the videos where people are being drowned in a cage or, or burned alive in a car or, or, or beheaded with explosives, that kind of thing. While it is important to, to, to recognize that these horrendous, horrendous crimes are being committed by Islamic State, there is another side to their propaganda which is, is very much focused on the utopia. And I, I really think that this utopian element of Islamic State's narrative is probably the thing which attracts most people to it. Uh, there was a time where people would go to Syria to fight Assad more than anything. But I think that more recently we've seen people going to Islamic State, at least in Syria, because it is calling itself Islamic State and a lot of its propaganda is really showing that if you are that way inclined, if you think that the jihadist interpretation of Islamism, uh, the jihadist interpretation of Islam is the, the, the correct thing and you want to uh, live in a, a situation of pristine Islam as Islamic State sells it, then that's a very powerful story. So here we have uh, a, a great many feature-length videos which, which look at things which are quite stale to someone who is not particularly interested in this kind of thing. So looking specifically at, at how children are, are taught in schools, what they're being taught, uh, going from schools to, to training centers, seeing what kind of jihadist literature they're looking at, going from uh, training centers to, to hospitals, to, to medical centers, uh, to dentists, to, to really look at the, the breadth of how society and economy is still operating. Even in light of the, the coalition's attacks on Islamic State, it, it's always looking to assert its continuity and assert the fact that, that it does have a normal civilian population which is not only supportive of the, uh, the state's uh, political aims and its religious aims, but also uh, operating as normal that it's, it's, it has people working, it has social services, uh, all, all that kind of thing. And, I mean, let me s stress here that I, I, I really don't take what Islamic State is saying through these videos and photos at face value. I think that it's really, really important that we don't do that because if we use Islamic State's propaganda as, as our main source of information on it, then we're, we're really putting ourselves in a tricky situation. I think all of this material needs to be taken with a, a very hefty pinch of salt. Uh, and it must always be kept in mind that Islamic State, in whatever it does, has an agenda. So when it is releasing a video of someone being killed in an awful way, that is to distract from something else, or it's to, to, to really shape the discourse on how people are talking about Islamic State. When it's releasing videos showing hospitals or uh, schools, I don't think anyone would believe that hospitals are actually operating absolutely as normal in, in the, the boundaries of, of Islamic State in Syria and Iraq. But also, I think there's, uh, if we look even closer at that, at, at where these videos are coming out from, what hospitals they're looking at, uh, there's a lot to be told from which parts of the caliphate are more secure, which are operating better than others. And I think that this is something that my current project, which is logging everything uh, that, that is released over the course of a month, that will enable me to, to, to really see which provinces, which provincial media offices are producing what. And I think that will be interesting to see how that reflects what's happening on the ground in terms of the, the, the anti-Islamic state offensive. Those are very valid points you just mentioned. 
in the virtual caliphate, you lay out six key narratives, and those are brutality, mercy, victimhood, war, belonging, and utopia, which you've touched upon already. Could we look at these other um, narratives that are keys that they use in their propaganda in more detail? Yes, absolutely. After, um, I mean, all of the ones which I'm about to talk about, they, they all kind of bottleneck into the utopian idea of Islamic State. They all have an element of them which can be uh, understood as supporting the, the overall utopian um, idea, the idea that Islamic State is, is on the offensive, the idea that it is welcoming uh, to all who want to join it, the idea that it is uh, a place where pristine Islam is being practiced. These are all things which, which do lend, uh, or Islamic State hopes, lend credence to the idea that it is uh, a utopia. So if we look specifically at, at the first one I identify, which is brutality, this is the kind of video where you see groups of alleged spies being killed en masse or individuals being shot in the back of the head by children. Uh, not necessarily, I'd say, amputations and, and stonings. I think that, that while they are kind of integrated into the, the brutality narrative, I'd say that they're more to do with showing that Islamic State is, is really implementing Hadood punishment, uh, implementing Sharia law. And I think that goes more into utopia than it does brutality, even though they are, of course, very violent acts. What brutality does is, is it speaks to a, a variety of different audiences. It speaks to the Islamic State ideologue that I was speaking about earlier. It, it gratifies them to see their uh, co-believers, their, their like-minded comrades, killing their enemies in, in horrendous ways and humiliating them and, and really emphasizing their supremacy. Uh, but also to sympathizers, I think that it, it shows this level of defiance and, and makes Islamic State look like this organization which is not going to, to balk in the face of, of the international coalition against it. To its enemies, brutality sends a very strong message too. It, it, it shows to observers that, that the justice that Islamic State meets up is very, very uh, brutal and very swift and unwavering. And I think that that's trying to send a message of uh, intimidation as much as it is next message, which I think is provocation. We know that, uh, I mean, going back to Abu Musa al-Zarqawi, who was the kind of ideological forefather for, for what we have today in Islamic State, we know that the idea of provocation was, was very central to how he operated. The idea of really provoking sectarian tensions, thrusting the region into to more chaos, as much chaos as possible, so then you can galvanize support on both sides and really usher on this, this, this polarization of communities and ultimately strengthen the cause. I think that that's very, very important. And I think it's something which is fairly often uh, missed or, or less so now, but I think that it, it's a very important element of Islamic State's brutality propaganda that, that when you do see uh, someone being killed in an awful manner, it, it's, it is very much aware its propagandists are very much aware of the reaction that they're going to get from the international community, be it from governments or, or publics. And that's briefly to touch upon the last thing that brutality channels is uh, an international reaction. It, it really 
gets notoriety for Islamic State, it, it secures it a place, uh, a weekly place in in the newspapers. It, it really makes sure that they get to be at the front of news hours and, and really helps it keep keep its relevance up. And I think that's very important for a terrorist organization. The next narrative is Murphy. So here, um, these are things that are a little rarer than, than the idea of brutality, but, but Murphy the hands of both uh, Islamic State and also the religion uh, is a very important theme. Uh, it's the idea that anyone, regardless of whether they are the enemies of uh, Islamic State in terms of being soldiers fighting in the Syrian Arab army or, or in Jabhat al-Nusra or uh, that's Syrian, uh, uh, Al-Qaeda's Syrian affiliate uh, or even the, the Iraqi security forces, it's the idea that clemency will be granted if it is requested. Uh, and this is to, to always show that Islamic State will, will welcome people into its arms and it will really try to assimilate into its cause if they are willing to do so. So this is obviously important in terms of uh, ensuring uh, constant replenishing of, of manpower and that kind of thing. But also it gives them an ability to say, look, we, we offered you uh, clemency and you didn't take it. Um, but it, it, it's a very kind of winner's messaging kind of thing. David Gartenstein Ross said uh, a very kind of apt thing about Islamic State's propaganda that it is very much focusing a lot of the time on the idea of supremacy, the idea that it, it is winning in this war. And there's nothing like uh, a video showing a mass uh, conversion, if you like, of, of enemies to the Islamic State cause to, to show that or at least attempt to show that Isla uh, Islamic State is winning in the war. On that point, the, on that point, no, do we know if yeah. these videos that show so-called Islamic State en enemies repenting, do we know if they're actually legit in the sense of once they show them repenting and forgiving them their sins and welcoming to the, them to the Islamic State, is that something we can really believe? Do we have any evidence backing that up, that people are joining the ranks and basically staying alive and not being killed after the filming is done? That's a really interesting question. I think that uh, it's something that Islamic State propagandists don't really preoccupy themselves with doing. They, they like to say, look, this has happened, and then move on. But there are instances where you do see uh, people who have pledged allegiance to Islamic State and then they pop up a bit later on because they've been killed or killed in battle and they kind of pop up because there's a, a eulogy uh, among Islamic State supporters about the, their lives. But I think that's a, a really good point that you do regularly see these, these mass repentances, these uh, mass responses to, to Islamic State's calls for repentance. Uh, but there isn't so much of a, an aftershot of, of what's happening there. But I, I think that for as many of these videos that we see, of course there are going to be people who are um, just going through the motions. And you, you can really see that uh, if, if they have a, a video of five or six hundred people in a room and you look at people in the room. I mean, obviously there are some who are looking more fervent than others. And I think that it's, it's important to recognize that people are joining the group because they're being coerced to. And I mean, this is all part of the whole thing that, that Islamic State supporters and fighters and members, they aren't a monolithic group. There are people who have been coerced into it 
people who really believe in the ideology, people who don't believe in the ideology but believe in the political program. I mean, there are a lot of things which, which make Islamic State supporters vary. And I think it's, it's really important that we recognize that they aren't just one group. That in the future, if there is uh, a little more success in terms of, of pushing Islamic State back, that kind of thing will be very important to recognize that, that they can't all be treated in the same way and that there have to be uh, different messages targeting different groups because if we write off everyone at the same time then that, that will make life a lot more difficult in the long run I think. So I'll just carry on with the, the narratives. Um, the next one that I identified was, was victimization and we've seen a disproportionate amount of this uh, in the last two weeks I'd say so since the end of Ramadan. Uh, obviously there are many things that victimization brings to a jihadist group's messaging. It gives it justification to, to do things, it gives it an ability to say, look we're being attacked uh, and we're fighting back, we're defiant, we're protecting Sunni Muslims. Um, and it, it's really nothing new in terms of uh, its use by, by jihadist groups. But again I'd say that the, the volume with which Islamic State uses it and the, the way that it juxtaposes it with with brutality and, and things like that. I think it really does uh, use it very uh, expertly in, in terms of making sure that the consumers, the propagandists, as I called them in my report, are getting the right message. And we have seen a, a huge amount of uh, very horrible, horrible footage and, and photographs emerging from Iraq and Syria, particularly in Aleppo province and Fallujah province. Uh, recently where children and, well, not women actually, children are photographed with very serious injuries or, or just plain dead. And this is as a result of, we're told, uh, a result of the, the coalition's efforts against Islamic State. And it, it's to try and lend it legitimacy. I mean, this content is very, very difficult to, to, to look at. I mean, it's, it's very powerful what it says, but it's also very effective in, in legitimizing the program of what Islamic State is doing. Um, but I think that the children, dead children, uh, dead old people, um, they are very much instrumentalized by the propagandist. And this is something which is really emerging as, as uh, a very powerful narrative that is very much the preoccupation of, of people disseminating this, this material uh, because it does really fit very well into the overall narrative of this is the, the Sunni Muslim Caliphate, it's being attacked by the Crusaders, it's being attacked by the Shiites, it's being attacked by the, the Zionists and this is all evidence of these attacks but we're pushing back, we're, we're seeking to protect. Uh, that's how it fits into the narrative. And that was the same narrative we saw with the starting of the revolution in Syria and, you know, all the YouTube videos of, we'll call it victimhood as you use that term, of children and civilians being killed by the Assad regime. So it's it's very interesting that, you know, that I guess that's a tried and true use of propaganda that the Islamic State is latching onto because it works. Absolutely. And I'd say that Islamic State has, has taken it a little further in, in the way that it does juxtapose uh, these kind of victim narratives with, with brutality. So um, 
video that I referred to earlier, a very brutal one from, from Nineveh province in Iraq, in which three sets of spies were executed in really awful ways in three groups. That video began with the cameraman zooming in on a disembodied hand. Uh, and I, I believe that it was, I didn't look too closely, but I believe that it was the, the hand of a child. Uh, and it was, it was picked up by the cameraman uh, who said that this was an area that had been bombed by the coalition. Here are some spies. They directed the planes to this area. So here's what we're going to do to them. And that is a way that Islamic State can justify the, the horrendousness of its acts. Um, of course, it's not justifiable. But if you are, again, if you are a supporter and you, you're getting from this propaganda what you want, then you can see that as, as a means of, of justification. An eye for an eye uh, is, is something which is very regularly used by Islamic State as a way of legitimizing itself and, and kind of rejecting criticism that it's too brutal or too violent. So uh, the, the last narrative, uh, we've gone through brutality, mercy, victimhood and war, and also utopia. Um, the last narrative, and I, th I think this one's particularly important in terms of the effect it has on the foreign fighter population, the foreign fighter contingent of Islamic State, is the idea of belonging. So one thing that, that is commonly held, I mean, there's no generalization, there's no stereotyping in, in terrorism studies, but one thing which we do often see, or, or relatively often see, Within, with foreign fighters from the West is that they are looking for something to be part of. They want to belong to a group. They want to belong to a cause. So Islamic State not only offers the cause, it, it offers the ability to be a founding father or, or founding mother of a new state, but it also offers the ability to really get a new bunch of friends. And we do see a lot of propaganda which is, is showing foreign fighters hanging out together in, in groups in parks in Raqqa or, or drinking tea and singing nasheeds on, on a hillside in, in Aleppo province. This kind of thing is, is I mean, it's very effective in, in the way that it manages to, to show the idea that you, you arrive in Islamic State and you, you immediately become part of the gang. I think the, the group mentality, that the idea of being able to integrate yourself into the Islamic State collective is a very powerful narrative and something that does really appeal to someone who perhaps feels very marginalized, dislocated from their home society, is looking for a, a way to be with like-minded individuals, a way to leave their sense of marginalization and isolation behind. And I mean, who's going to know radicalization better than Islamic State? They, they really know what works and what doesn't work. So I think that that's a very important, very striking feature of Islamic State propaganda that we tend to see more in video form than anything, anything else. Uh, and of course, it, it's perpetuated by Islamic State's disseminators and it's, it's kind of proselytizing community online. But in terms of official propaganda, it, it, it tends to be, um, actually, it tends to be videos released by the likes of Al Hayat Media Center. And that's indicative of the fact that it's looking outward, it's looking to direct its messaging at a foreign audience. These videos that come out in, in English and German and French and I mean recently in 
the Uyghur language, uh, and also there's a, a recent message to Muslims in, in Turkestan, which was which is looking to, to emphasize the fact that you can come and be part of this this great project. Uh, you can really integrate yourself into the Muhajirin, Muhajira, uh, the, the migrant community um, of Islamic state citizens living in, in Raqqa, but not exclusively in Raqqa. Um, but I think it's the, the idea of immediate assimilation, immediate integration, and overwhelming friendship and camaraderie that, that these videos really perpetuate. I think that, that does appeal a lot to the, the dislocated and the marginalized in the West. And going back to the, the key narrative of utopia, which we talked about earlier, I know Will McCants has done a lot of work and is still doing a lot of work on the idea of an apocalyptic utopianism. And I was wondering, how does this also play into the Islamic State's propaganda? Because this is sort of a greater idea of utopia that, that they really, really utilize in their messaging. Yeah, well, uh, I, I'm very much looking forward to Will McCann's book on Me too, me too. <laughs> from, from my reading of it, uh, the message that Islamic State is trying to get out is, is one of urgency, that the utopia has been established, the caliphate has been established, uh, having been decimated uh, for a very long time. It has now been reinstated with a, a caliph, a rightful caliph, at its head. It is reinstating Sharia law, it's re-implementing Hadood punishments, it is calling Muslims from the world over to uh, to join it, to, to flock to it. And behind all of this is the sense that the coalition, which is uh, invariably viewed by Islamic State as, as a crusader coalition, that the, the final battle has already begun that the Yawm al-Qiyamah, the, the Judgment Day, is, is just around the corner and that this is something which is being engaged in as we're speaking. So that's uh, something which lends the Islamic State cause urgency. It's, I mean, I view it to a large extent as a, a way of just keeping people interested and, and keeping people coming to, to join the group by really channeling the idea that we're seeing this final battle now, and you can not only come and be a founding member of the Caliphate in its uh, nascent year, or nascent years rather, but you can also join the battle before it's too late. You can uh, secure yourself a place in, in, in Jannah, in Paradise, before it's too late. And I think that, that to some that's, that's a very powerful idea, but I mean, my, my reading of it is that it lends the, the cause urgency. It's been something which has been around in jihadist messaging and jihadist politicking for a, for a long time. I mean, uh, AQAP's media uh, establishment is called uh, Malahim Media. So Malahim is, is referring to the, the final battles, um, the plural of Malhama, which is the final battle. So I think that it's it's something which isn't unique necessarily to Islamic State uh, as an idea, but certainly the amount that it, it comes up in uh, the speeches of, of Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, for example, that is new. Um, and it, the way that, that is 
instrumentalized is, is very important. I would like to take the conversation now towards the outsourcing and dissemination of propaganda by ISIS Islamic State. Um, how do they outsource their propaganda and disseminate it and insulate themselves from government-led schemes to censor it? And who are the disseminators that we're looking at? So to take the first question there, the, the way it has outsourced its propaganda is by really encouraging other individuals to, to get involved. Um, this is something which uh, can be done through putting together video montages or, or photo montages, putting together kind of fanboy posters, that kind of thing, uh, but also by disseminating the message. So not just showing the videos and the, the photographs and the audio bulletins, but actually literally just copying and pasting the, the message of what has been approved by Islamic State as the, the, the way that a given situation is being reported. So you do see a lot of uh, tweets that just get repeated word for word uh, in Arabic that are talking about a specific situation in Anbar province or Salahuddin province, that kind of thing. But in terms of the actual outsourcing of production, I think that this is something which is, again, made possible by the fact that Islamic State produces a huge amount of propaganda. So there's a, a lot of uh, resources available, a lot of raw material available to, to rearrange and to, to fit back together. Um, and one of the things that you very often see is, is Islamic State propaganda weaved into news reports from either Arabic media or Western media, um, which is kind of juxtaposing the, the West's narrative with that of Islamic States. And, while these videos don't have the same influence in terms of the amount that they're viewed, the, the sheer kind of uh, regularity with which they're generated and regularity with which they're disseminated, it, it does keep the Islamic State online echo chamber alive. And I think that's very important. But it's not always the case that these videos aren't well watched. I mean, there's uh, an individual uh, who's a kind of outsourcing propagandist for Islamic State called Kurshaman al-Asawarti, and he is on his 213th Twitter account. He has a huge following um, and repeatedly comes back, uh, regardless of the fact that Twitter has suspended his account so many times. And he is someone who disseminates uh, very well-produced uh, montages, video montages, of, of what I was just speaking about. Um, and these videos do get very well watched, and he's, I mean, there's, there's very little that we can actually know about him, um, because his, his account looks fairly ubiquitous, though it is hallmarked to, to show that it's him. But he's certainly someone who is uh, encouraged, I'd say actively, but perhaps it is just tacitly by the Islamic State propagandists themselves to, to really carry on disseminating the message. In terms of the dissemination of propaganda itself, I mean, this is something which is really interesting to view in its earliest stages. So when there's a, a very prominent video release coming out or a very prominent statement coming out, there's, there's always a forewarning of, of usually at least six or seven hours uh, where you'll have an individual who is definitely in the know. He'll say, coming soon, 
Uh, so he'll tweet in Arabic coming soon, uh, new release from Maasasata Furkan, for example, and then say whether it's uh, uh, Saudi uh, or Mari'i, so video or audio. Um, and then there is a lot of excitement in the Islamic State community about what the, this video is going to be. There's uh, really a, a huge amount of tweeting about the, the new video. And then there's another development a couple of hours down the line is a poster is added, perhaps a few more details about who's going to feature in the, the video or audio release. And it really galvanizes excitement in the community. Uh, and of course, this will feed into the English-speaking community of Islamic State supporters too, who will begin to, to tweet about it and, and, and make a buzz about it too. Uh, and that's the, the buzz side of things, the excitement that the disseminator network of Islamic State has. I think that's really, really important and also indicative of the fact that often this is very much a grassroots thing. It's, it's not necessarily the case that the uh, thousands of Twitter accounts that, that support Islamic State, that they are operating in tandem with each other. Of course, there is a very tight, very centralized structure at the top um, and at the heart of this whole determination process. But a lot of it is just uh, let to go its own course um, because of the way that Islamic State supporters really crave these new uh, propaganda videos, these, these new very significant statements. And they really do talk it up, and they get a lot of excitement going, um, which invariably uh, gets a lot of people waiting on tenderhooks. And quite often it's, it's kind of funny, you see Islamic State supporters uh, tweeting pictures of, of, or renderings of skeletons covered in cobwebs sitting by computers and complaining about how the fact that the video hasn't been released tonight means that they need to go to bed uh, because they're too tired and they've been waiting for, for too long. I mean, there's there's a, a lot of this kind of thing, and it, it's very curious to see, but it's all about hyping up the Islamic State propaganda machine and really trying to, to channel as much excitement as possible. And this is something that, that kind of worked into the, uh, the symbiotic relationship that the propagandist has with the propagandee. The propagandist creates the, the videos, creates the photographs, and, and replenishes the product on a daily basis. And for that, the propaganda is reliant on them. They, they, they come to receive gratification and satisfaction from, from consuming this stuff. But then they also begin to disseminate it as well, and that, that takes them a little further into the, the, the game, if you like. They become more involved. Their agency in disseminating propaganda is undeniable now, and they are part of the dissemination process. So they become necessary for the propagandists, but they also end up disseminating and consuming for their own self-gratification. And I think that that's something which is very carefully cultivated by Islamic State. And I mean, it's something which could have arisen organically, but it's a very uh, sophisticated approach to, to outsourcing your dissemination methods. And so the propagandi, or as you called them earlier, the fanboy, and should I also say we have fangirls out there, you know, they're constantly mm. tweeting, retweeting Islamic State supportive tweets or posts on Facebook. But can some of the material that they put out themselves, so these fanboy, fangirls, can it actually 
hurt the messaging of the official, I'm putting official in quotations, but the official Islamic State group. Yeah, I think that can definitely be the case, uh, but it's more often than not not the case. I think that you do have uh, these kind of fans of Islamic State talking about issues which sometimes they just don't know about, or they are very naive, they, they aren't very well acquainted with Islam, for example, and then they end up getting into a conversation about uh, a theological matter with someone from, uh, and I've seen this happen with, with uh, someone from Jabhat al-Nusra, who will really pick them apart and show that they know nothing about this, this particular element, um, and that they thought that they did, but they were just showing off and they're full of hubris, etc., etc. So in that sense, when the uh, lack of knowledge is made visible by someone picking it apart, um, and I mean it tends to be other jihadists who are most effective at doing this, then that is uh, a liability. But I think that the in in the main, usually the Islamic State disseminated community it, it is quite inward looking. So it, it will criticize others, of course, but it doesn't. I mean, it, it deals fairly well with, with criticism from outside. But also, if you are sticking to perpetuating the idea of the Islamic State's successes in terms of what they're doing politically, socially, and economically, then you can get quite far uh, in terms of notoriety within the, the disseminator community without actually having to, to deal with anything without having to come up with your own content, essentially. Uh, I mean, it's very interesting to just try as an experiment um, kind of entering the, the kind of Islamic State echo chamber and starting to follow the right people and, and retweet the right stuff. You'll see that very quickly you do get absorbed into the, the, the collective, uh, and that's without directly interacting with them. So I think that it's a necessary evil to have the, these kind of no barriers to entry, not even low barriers to entry, there are no barriers to entry for the people to engage with Islamic State propaganda and disseminate it uh, and talk about it. And I think that while it is a liability in some senses, it does mean that you get a lot more people than you would otherwise. And I think that for Islamic State's propaganda strategy to work, it needs to have the constant attention of a lot of people. Looking at the bigger picture of social media and the use of social media by jihadist organizations, in today's day and age, in your mind, has social media replaced what has been termed as like radical mosques or radical bookstores? What are your thoughts on this? So, yeah, I think that um, it has become very important in terms of being a, an arena where people can exchange ideas, exchange battlefield stories, exchange uh, practical advice, um, meet other like-minded individuals. And these were things that were done predominantly in, in so-called radical mosques and bookstores back in the 90s and, and, and earlier, of course, um, going into the 2000s too. Uh, I think that then we saw a migration of that kind of activity more towards forums. Um, where password protected places where you could again exchange ideas and, and practical advice, meet other people. Uh, but I, I do think now that a lot of this is happening on social media, a lot more is happening on social media than, than 
or at least in the Islamic State's case, on social media than it is on um, on forums. And I think that while uh, social media is very important as a, a meeting place and a, a place to exchange ideas, uh, so in that sense it has replaced the, the radical mosque or radical bookstore, it's not the be-all and end-all of the, the radicalization process. I, I still uh, am an ardent believer of the, the fact that radicalization happens because of an external influence and I don't think that you would necessarily find it too easy to go onto the internet start finding locating Islamic State propaganda and, and thereby identify the, the disseminator crowd or the, the proselytizer crowd uh, and then immediately be absorbed by them and, and end up being recruited to the organization I think that while that has happened in some instances I don't think it's quite that easy. I think there does need to be uh, an external influence. And that's why we have quite often seen groups of friends being recruited to Islamic State at the same time. Or, or I mean, for example, the, the three Bethnal Green girls who went out uh, back in December, or maybe it was a little later than that, actually, but they, they were following a, another school friend who had gone before them. That It really does help to have a, a friend who is in the know, who's, who's taken the leap and then can constantly try and uh, push the line and, and really attract people to come and join join them wherever they are. Um, so in that sense, I think that the offline arena is still very, very important. But in terms of disseminating ideas, videos, uh, pictures, uh, stories, practical advice, I do think that social media is, is very important and probably more important than it's ever been, because people can do that uh, anonymously. They can create a fake name, they can use a fake picture, they can add fake friends, and there's not much that we can do about that. But they can, in so doing, render a lot of material which is very dangerous and very uh, damaging, available for themselves without too much effort. To bring the talk to conclusion, I want to ask you more of a big, big, big question. So when considering ISIS's propaganda and everything you've looked at in your research, how can we view their propaganda and use it as a way of creating an effective counter-narrative, which is the big question out there, of course. We've seen so many young people join ISIS and, and go to Syria, as you were mentioning, the young girls, um, you know, all around the world. It's not just UK, it's not just in the Middle East, this is spanning many country borders. So by looking at their propaganda, personally, in your opinion, do you find ways of creating a counter-narrative that will actually last and potentially work? Well, I think that we really should take a leaf out of Islamic State's book in the way that we approach this, this question. I think that there is no single counter-narrative that we can rely upon uh, and if we persist in trying to find it, we are going to persist in a fool's errand. I think that it, it, it's impossible to find a, a catch-all narrative that, that will solve the foreign fighter problem, uh, that will destabilize Islamic State from within, that will cut through its utopian narrative, that will uh, dissuade people from supporting it, its revolutionary agenda. I mean, there's no, there's simply no one narrative that will work. And 
rather like Islamic State does, it has various narratives that uses them in different ways uh, and targets them at different audiences. I think if we start thinking in those terms, then then that could make our approach a lot more effective. Uh, one video which my, my think tank, Quilliam, had had a, a pretty big role in the production of has recently been released. It's called, uh, or it's being circulated on, on the internet, uh, the hashtag not another brother. And it's essentially targeted at, at the hard end, so targeted at people who are uh, thinking about going and their companions, their friends who are perhaps encouraging them or, or there is this increasing sense that maybe it's a really good idea and maybe actually taking the leap and going to Syria will will make them the hero that they want to be. And I think it's a very effective uh, video and I, I urge you to, to watch it to kind of see how one of these things can look. But of course a video like that isn't going to have the same effect on an English, uh, sorry, on a, a, an Arab supporter of Islamic State as it does on an English one because there are a lot of English um, uh, British motifs in there and references to, uh, to, to life in Britain. There is no, even within this one small, relatively small target audience, there's no one video, no one narrative that can, can be used. So I think that we really need to, to go at it in a more granular manner and look at a variety of different narratives, recognize that we're not just looking at one target audience, but that there's a very broad spectrum of people that we need to be reaching out to, and then thinking very carefully about what kind of things appeal to them, what kind of things uh, will resonate and what kind of things won't. If we do that, then I think that from a, a structural point of view, we'll be better able to, to put together something that actually means something to the people that we're trying to reach out to. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, Charlie, and for our listeners, the paper is The Virtual Caliphate, Understanding Islamic State's Propaganda Strategy, and I highly recommend anyone that's interested in this topic to read it. There are some great images, graphs, all kinds of great information in it. It's a very good read, and thank you for putting in all the amazing work to write this piece of, of fantastic research, Charlie. Thank you very much, and thanks thank for having you. me on the show.